Amen. I've been praying about this, and I saw a glimpse of it this morning at 8.30 and just right now. The more we focus on Jesus, the more we're going to be willing to make much of him and to praise his holy name. And, and I praise God for the ability to come here to gather worship. If you enjoyed uh, praising Jesus, let's give him a round of just applause and glory right now. Amen. It is an opportunity to gather here to celebrate, to remember what he's done for us, that God sent his one and only son to die on the cross, to take our sins on, my sin and your sin, that, that he actually became sin and died, but then arose from the grave, the victor over sin and death. And that's why we celebrate him. And the more we focus on him, the more we realize he deserves glory. I'm thankful you're here to focus on him. I'm thankful that some of you are listening on the radio or maybe online right now. If you're at home listening on the radio or in a car, or maybe you're watching online, let us know how you're doing. Call the office, uh, um, give us a comment online. We want to be praying for you and lifting you up as well. Last week was a, was a great time of study and worship as well. Uh, after second service, there were two baptisms last week. You're going to hear more about those, I think, next week as we celebrate that. But last week also, God uh, led us through this amazing journey as we studied the genealogy of Jesus from Abraham all the way to Jesus. And, and we looked at many of the, the family trees around ourselves. Even this week, my own family was just discussing family trees. I, I hope you were drawn into the amazing miracles that God did in the midst of mess in the midst of sin, to bring about his purpose. And that happened for Jesus, and it can happen for your family as well, and for your own life. God does amazing things as he restores relationships, uh, especially as it led to the Messiah, Jesus coming to save us. Today, we're going to jump back in to that birth story. Uh, and today, we come to uh, a story that's usually just only studied around Christmas time. But I would ask you to open your Bibles to Luke chapter 1. If you can grab a Bible around you, maybe in the pew or over in the wings, we're going to be on page 855 of Luke chapter 1. Last week we were in Matthew 1 looking at the genealogy. Uh, today we're going to pick up in Luke 1 verse 26. If you just pick up there without the context, it's a little confusing because it's going to say in the sixth month. And we, we know we're looking at the, the, the pregnancy of Mary this morning, but what the sixth month indicates is that Mary's cousin, Elizabeth, is now six months pregnant. Uh, in the first part of Luke, it talks about how Zechariah and Elizabeth weren't able to have a child. She was known as barren. Uh, she was great with age, but no child. And then this miraculous uh, pregnancy happens, and she's with child. So she is in her sixth month as we pick up the story. Luke chapter 1, verse 26. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to the city of Galilee named Nazareth. To a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. So there's that lineage in Luke. Uh, again, he's like, hey, this, this pregnancy, this line comes from David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, greetings, O favored one. The Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. I think that's an understatement. She was greatly troubled. This is probably a teenage girl who's engaged, who's never been with a man, and this angel says, hey, you're, you're going to bear a son. Look at verse 30. And the angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. This is the Messiah. 
And he will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord will give him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. This is a big deal. This is, this is the, the pinnacle of, of mankind because God is going to come to the earth in the flesh. Look what Mary said. And Mary said to the angel, how will this be? Since I'm a virgin. This short text that we read three different times acknowledged that Mary was a virgin. She'd never been with a man. But twice it also acknowledged that she was highly favored. And yet, hearing this message, she can't help but ask this question in the midst of the call. This radical call to be the mother of the Messiah. She says, how will this be? There are details. There's difficulties. I'm a teenager. I'm not married. It doesn't make sense. She's basically asking this question, how can you use me for this big thing? I wonder if you've ever asked that question. It's our Quest 52 question for the week. Can you use me in a big way, God? Can God use me for big things? It's a question that as you go through your life, sometimes you're just wanting to survive. How could you ever use me for something big, God? Here's where the rubber hits the road. When we think God using us for something big, often we think of our weakness. We think of our inadequacies. We think of our failures. This may be all too real for you. Maybe you've recently had a big failure. Maybe a weakness has been staring you in the face. Maybe a blemish in your life or a sin specifically has been staring you right in your eyes. Say, God can't use you. That's not God talking. That's Satan talking. That's your own doubt talking. If you've ever felt this way, you may have categorize yourself in this way that you're just not enough and I will admit on my own I often feel this way that I'm not enough if you've ever felt like maybe you're not enough you know what you are not alone it's a very common thing to 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 have inadequacies and and running through our mind and, and fears of failure a recent survey revealed that the vast majority of Americans especially adults 18 and over have feelings of inadequate thoughts on a regular basis. Like 80% of us feel this way at times. These feelings are greatly intensified in the past two years with the youngest generation, those about 18 to 25. Uh, Their feelings of inadequacy have really grown. The survey stated that these young people have... have identified that their feelings of inadequacy have been pushed on them uh, by their parents and one other big thing in today's world, social media. There's this idea of failure to launch, uh, failure to really know where to land in life. And and, uh, the youngest generation have said, I I don't know if I can stack up. I don't know if this is going to work out. And they have identified that the pressures of this world have led them to fear. Maybe a lot like Mary. Based on the survey that was just taken in November of 22, eight out of every 10 people currently suffer with low self-esteem or feelings of inadequacy. That's pretty high. What I found most interesting is men hate the feelings worse than women. Women are able to identify they have a weakness and maybe they feel inadequate and they'll share it. But men don't want to talk about it and I can relate to that. This survey found that three out of four men would rather spend their entire life alone and unloved than disrespected and thought of inadequacy. So that means in the room right now, as you look around, three out of every four men would rather be alone than have be reminded of their failures, their weaknesses. So what do we do with that? 
That, that's not healthy living. I, I don't think there's any coincidence, there is no coincidence, that the Word of God in Ephesians chapter 5 speaks to wives specifically and says, respect your husband, because uh, a feeling of disrespect, a feeling of a re- reminded inadequacy in, in a loving relationships will tear men apart, especially women need respect as well. We both need love and respect, but, but the Word of God highlights this nature to us to, to not want to admit we're weak and be built up. I wonder if you're like me, though, you've been hurt by and hit hard by the thought of inadequacy. Some of mine over the years, as I thought this week, were moments in athletics where maybe at the last part of the game, I failed in some way and we lost a big game. And you're like, I wasn't enough. Some of you can relate to that. Others of you can relate to this. Maybe you took a big test and you need to score this this grade to get this proficiency to move on to this next program. And you know what? There was moments when you failed and you're like, I'm never going to get that. Or maybe that moment where she said, it wasn't you, it's me. You ever heard that? Okay. But to be honest, even as a parent, even as a pastor, the thoughts and fears of failure don't go away. In fact, I think they increase as a parent. If you're a good parent, there's moments where you're listening to your child, you, you see a dilemma in their life, and you know that you don't have the answers. And you realize, am I enough to be the parent God has called me to be? And on your own, the reality is you're probably not in today's world. And I have to admit, as your pastor, there have been times, especially the last two years, I admitted to the elders and to people in in private conversations, guys, I don't know what the next move is. I don't know where it's going. And there's moments where we feel inadequate and we realize we're not enough. If we were honest, we all feel that way at times, I believe. And reality is, without Christ, we're not enough. And how will God use me? How, how will this be? For Mary, it was the question of how can I become pregnant when I'm not even married? Uh, for you, it may, how can I uh, rise to this occasion whenever I don't have those skills or abilities? Can we be used by God in our weakness and our state of frailty? It's a sobering thought. It's a humbling thought. And if we don't allow God to be at the center of that answer, we will fail. We will. We'll try to overcompensate. You know what we often do as pastors? We, we try to work extra hard. We become workaholics, and we're like, by golly, we're going to do this, this, and this, and it'll be fine. If God's not in it, it will fail. Maybe we try to hide our flaws as husbands and wives, as parents, as, as workers, as athletes. Maybe we try to cover up blemishes and realistically have cosmetic surgery and, and do things to hide the things that we're insecure about. It causes unrealistic expectations to form in our hearts and minds, and we force these unrealistic expectations on others, often our children and grandchildren, and it drives wedges between everyone because we're all pretending we've got all of our ducks in a row, but we're all hurting and, and crushed and insecure. If God is not the center of that, it's a mess. If we allow our, our thoughts of insecurity to run wild, we begin to lie to ourselves, thinking, well, I don't have a problem. And we pretend that there are no weaknesses. In fact, our only weaknesses makes us stronger. And by golly, I'm going to overcome them on our own. And that is a lie because we can do all things in Christ, but not on our own. I wonder if sometimes we don't end up looking like Michael Scott. Anybody know who Michael Scott is? Raise your hand. One of the main characters of The Office. And in this clip that we're about to show, uh, Michael Scott may be one of the most insecure people I've ever seen on a television network program, okay? 
He, he can walk into the office and pretend like everything's right. And then the, the next episode, he's underneath his desk, like eating chocolate and crying. You know, he's, he's a mess. How many times do, do our weaknesses are hidden and we've got all of our ducks in a row and we present ourselves to the world as having everything figured out when inside we're insecure and we're, we're barely making it through the day. We fake it, we lie, and the effects of our great expectations on ourselves negatively affect our relationships with our spouses, with our children, and with the world to the point where we're phonies. We've got to be real with this, this truth that we cannot make it on our own, but only through Christ do we have the strength to achieve what he set us out to do. I see it in Michael, the failure, but I see in Mary, the faith. Mary, the mother of Jesus, as she felt this great call uh, to raise the Messiah, as God announces her that she's going to be uh, the bearer of Jesus, she had to feel overwhelmed, inadequate, and she did. She's like, how can this be? But I believe we can learn from Mary again today. No matter what you're going through, no matter how much you've wondered if God could work your life in spite of who you are, we can see in Mary uh, this choice to be faithful to God's word. So what do we know about Mary? Not really much. We don't. We don't really know much about before the angel came to her. We don't know how she died. We don't really know her parenting style all that much. But what we do know is she was faithful. We see her name brought up in the Gospels a few times, and then only one other time in the New Testament, in the book of Acts, one time. So let's see what we know about her from our text for today. The first thing is pretty simple. Mary was born in Nazareth. Well, what, what does that tell us about this woman and, and what made her the rightful uh, person to be the mother of the Messiah? Uh, Nazareth was a big town. It had about 300 people in it when, when Mary lived there. It, it was placed on about, historians believe, 10 acres. The, the entire town uh, was made up on 10 acres. Uh, the historians also believe that if a person was born in Nazareth, uh, only about 50% of them made it past their first birthday. They were overlooked. They weren't cared for that well. That was surely not what she was leaning on. But the text does say this, from God, she was highly favored. In the original text, this doesn't mean she would be highly favored. It was the angel saying, God has highly favored you now. He has chosen to bless you. He has chosen uh, to work in you. He has called you uh, to a great blessing and purpose. And this would have been a surprise to her. Again, she was from this little place. She was engaged to this insignificant man named Joseph. I mean, let's not make more of Joseph than he was. He was a carpenter. Carpenter is a great, um, a great career, but he didn't have much influence in the world. He was never going to be king. He's probably never going to be rich. And yet God chose her. This would have been a great surprise, but here's what I want you to see. God favors those the world often overlooks. You may think, well, I've got to be in the highlight of the world. I've got to have a, a position of, of popularity, of power. And that is often who God chooses to just let work on their own strengths. But who God often uses is someone who the world will overlook and says, if you follow my call, I'm going to bless you. And that's what he says to, to Mary. You're highly favored, even though the world is ready to overlook you. We also see she was greatly troubled. Some translations said she flat out had fear. You may feel that way this morning based on something that's happened or, or something that, that you don't possess. You're like, how can this be? How will this be? And she would have been surprised by this. The, the reaction, in fact, was very troubling. How can I be this mother of the Messiah? 
Notice she didn't say this. It wasn't pleasant, this first report. She doesn't say, I can't, well, I can't wait to tell my fiance I'm expecting. She didn't say that. She doesn't say, I've always known I'm the chosen one. No, she says, how can this be? How will this be? Remember, she's probably 15 years old, give or take a few years. She's never been with a man. She's engaged. She's got dreams about the future. But based on this fact that she's now pregnant, her life is over as the world knew it. Jewish culture would have given them permission to stone her on the spot if Joseph would have desired. But even if Joseph doesn't stone her, he's surely going to divorce her privately. Her life would have been over in the eyes of the world. She would have been overlooked, but God says, no, you're favored. Look back to the text. Look at verse 29 again. And she was greatly troubled at the saying. And she tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. But how am I going to be enough? How will this be? I'm going to share with you this point that can play in your own heart today. This, this is the main point of the entire message. Your future impact for God is not determined on your past failures or your uncertain circumstances or unfortunate circumstances. It is determined by your faithfulness to God and his call. So you may be here today and your life has been a mess. It's been full of sin. You may have been hurt. You may have hurt others. You, you may have doubted God. You may have walked away from him. All of that doesn't matter. But when God calls you and he says, I've got a purpose for you. I've got a strong calling for life. Your ability to have an influence in, in the world for God's sake is not based on that past. It's based on your faithfulness to God now. Look back to the text. Look at verse 34. And Mary said to the angel, how will this be? since I'm a virgin. The angel made it real clear. Look at verse 35. And the angel answered her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. He says, God is going to make this happen. It's not based on your ability. It's not based on a human act. It is God working in your life that something amazing is going to happen. This Messiah is going to come. And behold, also, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son. And this is in the sixth month with her who is called barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. Notice Mary says, how will this happen? And the angel says, nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, she didn't keep arguing. She didn't say, well, how will this be? I love what Mary says. And behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. What a great testimony that this son of the Most High, that Jesus, would be born to her. And at the end of it all, when she hears this message, she says, let me be your servant. Let it be. For nothing is impossible with God. I wonder if you feel that way today. You all have insecurities. You all have weaknesses. You've got past sin. You've got past failure. But God is coming into your life today through Jesus. He says, there is something amazing that I'm going to do in you, a relationship with God for his glory uh, to bring others to him in a mighty purpose. And you are just asked to say to him, I am your servant. Let it be as you said. He's called you to be holy. He's called you to grow. He's called you to look like Jesus. He's called us on a daily basis, not just on Sunday morning, to give him glory and praise for what he's done. And I, I'm asking you to be challenged and respond. Say, I'm your servant. Let it be, for nothing is impossible with God. 
So here's the question. So can God use you for big things? Yes. It's really very simple. God can use each and every one of you for big things. You don't have to be a pastor like Ben, uh, who, who is shared and sharing truth. Uh, you, don't, you don't have to, to be an elder. You, you don't have to have grown up in the church. But when God comes to you and says, I'm going to do a work in you, I, I'm making a way for you, you said, let me be your servant, and I will fulfill these things according to your word. Because here's the reality. Your weakness, when used by God, highlights his glory as he works in you. It's that text that Paul said, that he received from Jesus. In your weakness, my grace is made perfect. Your inadequacy is God's opportunity. Now, I don't want to celebrate. We, 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 we can't get caught up in saying, oh, what was me? Look at my lack of gifts. Look at my lack of ability. Look at the sin in the past. And then that pushes uh, more glory to God. Now, it can at times, but here's the reality. We need to, wherever we're at right now, realize our weak spot is really an opportunity for God to shine. We all like to shine. We, we like to do big things, and we'd rather have God use our strengths and talents than our weakness, but that's not often how it works. I mean, if we're honest, most of us would prefer to have God use a strength of ours, an ability, uh, some a sense of uh, our personal uh, capability to bring glory to him. And that's amazing. I think you can see that today in, in the band. I mean, they, they, were, they were using their gifts and ability to bring God glory. I, I love to see things like that. I love to go down the children's wing and, and see teachers teaching our kids for God's glory. They're using their gifts and abilities. I love to see uh, many of you do things based on your strengths, and God receives glory for that. But I've noticed in the midst of God's greatest feats of strength, he often uses my weakness to show that he shines. And he can do that in you as well. I wonder what God is going to use in your life that you see as a weakness or inadequacy to show that he shines for his glory. I believe it's happening right now in the Haston family. This gets very real at this moment, but Owen and Max and Brody are amazing young boys, Christy and Adam, uh, a talented, beautiful family. Uh, I believe, though, in the next 80 years plus, you're going to see great things come from these three boys for God's glory, yeah, through their strengths, through their abilities. They're probably going to win some sports championships, maybe a state title. I mean, I don't, why not? There's going to be academic accomplishments and business and professional success. I believe these boys will have beautiful wives and beautiful children uh, for one reason. They're strong young men, and God's blessed them with gifts and talents. I don't know if you've ever played anything with Adam Haston, but he can beat you at anything. He's just a gifted man. Like he, he'll, he'll beat you at a, a word uh, like scramble, and then he'll go out and, and kick your rear and table tennis and then uh, golf. I mean, he's just a blessed man. I think these boys have many gifts and abilities, and, and they shine for Jesus. But what really is going to allow God to have glory right now like nothing else is when he does a miracle in Brody's life, in the midst of his weakness, in the midst of when doctors and, and nurses and, and we as his friends and family don't know what to do and, and we're not capable of helping. When God steps in and provides a way, God receives glory in that more than how much these boys shine in their own strength. And it's happening even now for his glory. I believe God's doing it in the, in the Haston's life and their testimony. Just this week, I was on social media, and I saw someone post on a comment of Adam saying, Adam, thank you for staying strong. And Adam quickly responded with just a statement. I want to quote it. He says, we continue to put the faith in God 
and take every day, one day at a time. Adam is testifying that no matter what happens, and, and he's basically, I've heard Adam say this, I, I don't know how this will happen, but I put my faith in the Lord one day at a time every day. Without the answers, without the ability to know the outcome, I have seen their faith grow and God receive glory for what they have done and what God has and has not done to this point. But time is of the essence, so we're going to pray today according to God's will. Brody has been open and, and released for a liver transplant. And without, it's about two weeks long, the window that he was given. Tomorrow on Monday, probably around midnight, what we understand, if, if a transplant doesn't become available, he'll begin treatment again. And then that, trans, that window will happen again later. I am wanting to agree with you in prayer today for God's glory, even though we don't know how it will happen, that he is going to do a miracle in Brody's life soon. If not in the next 24 hours, that's what we're going to ask in, in prayer right now. And if God says, not, this is not my will right now, we're going to trust him in that. And we're going to do what Adam says. We'll continue to put our faith in God every day, one day at a time. But we're going to ask of this family right now to receive a blessing for God's glory. Would you bow with me in prayer? Father in heaven, I, I thank you for these strong boys. I thank you for the way that their gifts and abilities and strengths will, will give you glory in the future and already have. But right now we come before you and we ask according to your will in the mighty name of Jesus that a door would be open for Brody to receive this transplant that he needs. Father, we know that the window is becoming narrow, but we're not asking how this will happen. We're asking you to, to work a miracle. Lord, be with the family that would give up this life to give Brody a new life. Lord, Adam and Christy are, are very aware of the blessings that they will someday receive for Brody will, will cost the life of someone else. And we ask for, for your will to be done and for that, that family to be blessed, even in the midst of this time. Lord, we need your help. This is beyond us, but we know nothing is impossible with you. And we ask on the, for the sake of Brody, for your glory, for a blessing. In Jesus' name, amen. I'll say this again, nothing is impossible with God. And there are times when, when we're brought to our knees, when, when we're at our weakest moments where God says, hey, I'm going to work in this way, and everyone is going to know beyond a shadow of a doubt that it is my power and, and my ability that has made this possible. And all he asks us to do is trust him with our faith one day at a time, every day. So let me ask you this, and this is where you begin to be involved. No matter your weakness, no matter your insecurity, and likely you have one, uh, can God do a big thing in your life? It's not a rhetorical question. I'll ask it again. Uh, in spite of your weakness and insecurity, can God do a big thing in your life? I pray that you believe that. I, I pray that, that you know nothing is impossible with him. We see it in the life of Mary. We see it all throughout uh, God's word that he works miracles for the sake of his glory. And sometimes the big things are little things, and I so much appreciate that. Sometimes the, the small things that God does that, that are beyond us, so we can say, God is working, and I praise him. Maybe in our parenting, and maybe in our marriage, and maybe in a friendship that you have. Will you place your faith in, with God one day at a time for his glory? We see Mary doing that. There are two things that our Quest 52 author highlights that happened to Mary that he insinuates that will happen to all of us automatically. And if that's the case, I would disagree with the author uh, respectfully. And, but I want us to see these things in Mary's life and know they're blessing to her and ask God to put them in ours. Do not take them for granted. Here's the first that the author highlights. 
that we would ask God to continue to reveal and remind us of reasons to believe, to trust him. I don't think that naturally happens. In our world, there are things that are going to take away our trust and our faith. Mary had in her life, though, she she had Gabriel come. That was a reason to believe. I mean, what an amazing uh, thing to happen. Uh, She had the evidence of Elizabeth, her cousin, becoming pregnant in her old age. Another reason to believe. But guys, we have the entire word of God to see evidence so we can believe in God. You have things that God has done in your life. Uh, Look at the circumstance of your life. Look at how he's met your needs in the past and say, God, again and again and again, I'm going to believe because you have been there faithfully. Look back to answered prayers during financial crisis or or health concerns or relational problems and say, God, you have pulled me through this and you're not going to stop now. I have reason to believe, but look for those reasons and say, God, give me more reasons to see what you're doing. And if you're going through a rough time right now and you feel weak, you feel inadequate, you feel overwhelmed, know that you're not alone. You know, one of the pinnacle people in the Word of God that have felt weak is one of the strongest men that we see recorded in the Bible, King David. In Psalms 103, King David shares with us this testimony that he is weak. This is the guy that killed Goliath. This is the guy that watched over his dad's sheep and took out lions and bears with his bare hands and a sling. And This is a guy that had did tremendous things, and yet we know that he was greatly insecure primarily because of his sin. Look what it says in the text. It says, The Lord is compassionate and merciful, slow to get angry and filled with unfailing love. He will not constantly accuse us nor remain angry forever. He does not punish us for all our sins, He does not deal harshly with us as we deserve. For his unfailing love towards those who fear him is as great as the height of the heavens above the earth. He has removed our sins as far as the east is from the west. That's what we just celebrate in communion. The Lord is like a father to his children, tender and compassionate to those who fear him. This is those who are acknowledging we are a servant. For he knows how weak we are. Notice that, that second last line, he knows how weak we are. He remembers we are only dust. Our lives are fragile. We are insignificant. Let's not pretend we're not, but when we come to God, anything is possible with him. And David understood this very much. He understood his frail life. We need to keep on looking and understanding that while we are weak, God is making us strong. And keep looking for ways he's working within us. And know that he is going to continue to work in us. Here's one of the temptations of of modern man is to try to dispel everything through science. I think science is created by God and and everything about science is amazing and it points to God time and time again. But sometimes we're so enlightened we, we dismiss almost anything to have a supernatural ability. When Mary goes to Elizabeth, um, after she learns that she's pregnant, she goes to be with Elizabeth. You know what the word of God says? When Mary approached Elizabeth, the baby within Elizabeth jumped with joy. And Elizabeth acknowledges your presence, Mary. There's something about it. The the baby within inside me is excited about you being here with what we know now is Jesus. And and they acknowledge that. Guys, in today's world, if we're not careful, God will move in a special way, maybe not in the exact same way, and we'll say, oh, that was heartburn. You know, that, that was just something in my stomach. It was just a coincidence. Guys, God does things in our lives that he needs the glory and acknowledge that he is at work. And we need to keep our eyes open because if we're not looking... We'll miss it. You know what that happened to that baby that was in Elizabeth's womb? He, he grew up. His name John the Baptist, and he pointed to Jesus. His message was to repent and return to the Lord. The Messiah is coming. 
the world so much hated his message, he was arrested and he was going to be put to death. And as he's in prison, knowing death is coming, his faith is tested, his insecurities, his weakness began to come out. And he asked his own friends that were around to support him. He says, hey, go and see what Jesus is doing. I need to know uh, the reports of Jesus because my faith is being tested. And his friends go and find Jesus again, and they see him doing miracles and changing people's lives. And they come back to, to John the Baptist, and they say, hey, what we've seen and heard is Jesus changes lives, and he's doing miracles. And John's strength and faith is encouraged. We need to keep looking around us and pay attention to what God's doing because it produces strength even as we face death on earth. Guys, that's one of the reasons I look at you often. What God has done in this church over the last hundred years is amazing. And what, our, what we have as a future is, is even more brilliant as we focus on Jesus uh, to, for him to grow us, to grow deep in, in his word, to, to grow out with the gospel, to grow young walking with one another. I'm encouraged, and, and my strength is, is strengthened whenever I look at you. I don't know if you've heard this before, but one of my most inadequacy-filled moments was the first time I preached right here on the stage. Would I ever be enough? With the ministers that have come before me, with, with uh, uh, longevity and legacies that, that far outweighed anything I can imagine, uh, the elders made a very wide choice uh, as Daryl uh, went off into retirement, continues to do great work for the Lord, preaching almost every week. They're like, okay, we're going to allow Tyson to get his feet wet here for a month, and then he's going to come and preach, and, and there'd be a little separation between Daryl and him. You know what they did the next four weeks? They had some of the greatest preachers of the Midwest do their very best sermon, and then they're like, here's your preacher. And as I stood before you that first day, I was like, I am not worthy of this. Uh, I, I'm not going to be capable of this. But I had to remember that it was Christ's message in me and point to Christ that mattered. And as I look at you and your grace with me, it strengthens me. Sure, am I inadequate? Yes. But God, when he speaks through me, uh, amazing things can still happen. We have to trust that. And it gives me reason to believe. There's one more thing that we see in Mary's life. In the midst of her wonderings, we need to ask God to continue to renew and restore relationships to sustain us, to sustain you. You've probably noticed this. When you're going through a hard time, it's much easier when you're walking with someone, when you have someone to share it with. We all need that. And it doesn't happen by accident. One of the most dangerous things happened the last couple of years is we have been isolated as a society. We have been told sometimes you're safer when you're alone. I've never been through a difficult time and thought that it was best to go through alone. And Mary didn't either. She traveled 70 miles to be with Elizabeth. And, and there's no coincidence here. She went to be with Elizabeth. You know why? Her husband, uh, Zachariah, had made a great mistake. He doubted God. He kind of mocked God. And God says, okay, Zachariah, you're a priest. You should have been able to trust me. And he shut his mouth until the baby was born. So as, a, as Mary traveled to be with them, only Elizabeth could really give her teaching and comfort through God's word. But she had been married to a priest. They would have known the prophecy. They would have known the Old Testament uh, word. And I think she was able to teach Mary, hey, you are this one that's going to bring the Messiah into the world. What a great encouragement from her friend. I wonder if you have a friend that reminds you of the word, that points you to the truth of what God's doing. This past year, we have spent a lot of time about talking about walking with one. For a few months, Elizabeth was Mary's one. 
Elizabeth said, Mary, God's doing amazing things in you. It's in the word. I want to encourage you, Mary. We all need someone walking with one. You may say, well, I don't have anyone right now, but you're still not alone. Look what God says in Hebrews 13. God said, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. And while God's spirit may only be with you now, I would ask that you pray that you would be strengthened by someone else. But you may be like, hey, I need someone to strengthen me. Here's my challenge to you. You need to strengthen someone yourself. You need to be Elizabeth for someone. You need to be a, a, a mentor with someone who, who is younger than you in the faith. This week on Monday, I connected with a friend I haven't really seen much in ministry for 20 years. And we're catching up on, on the phone and we're sharing each other's story. I asked him for help on a few decisions and, and he gave me some great insight. And he was very encouraged by the conversation. And this is what he said at the end. He says, can we do this once a month? I said, what? So can we just talk about ministry? Can we just talk about the challenge of life? Because I don't have anyone to do that with right now. In his stage of life, he doesn't have that. And I said, yes, let's do that. I wonder who in your life right now is hurting. He doesn't have anyone to share with. He doesn't have anyone to run situations by and ask questions of and pray with. God's calling you to do that, even if it's just once a month. But you know what's got to happen first? You've got to have dialogue with someone and say, hey, I don't have it figured out. I need your help. We need to pursue God together. We've got to be real about our weaknesses. We, we, we need to stop pretending like our, our, our greatest uh, strengths are really our weaknesses and pretend like we've got it all figured out because it's, it's a phony. If you pretend like you've always got everything figured out, you're going to be under your desk or under your bed eating chocolate, crying like Michael Scott. But when you realize God's got a big plan for you, that with God all things are possible, the sky's the limit. You've got to first admit you have a need. You've got a weakness, an insecurity. This week on social media, I just thought I'd put out there, what's something big God's doing in your life, big or small, that you realize you need help with? And a reoccurring theme was that people answered that call. I think 19 different people answered that pretty quickly. A reoccurring theme was this, that they needed help knowing how to parent maybe as a biological parent or as a foster parent or adopted parent, but there are people that were willing to admit, I need help being the parent God's called me to be. I'm inadequate. I, I, I don't know if I can handle my own. And you know what? I encourage them. I'll be praying for them, and I have. But they also need come, someone to come alongside of them. So when we're honest, we can work with one another. We're going to go to time of decision, and if maybe that strikes with you. I'm going to give about four of these. Would you stand? If, if you need help, being a parent, you would like prayer, maybe someone to walk alongside you. Would you stand with me because I'm one of those? Maybe you need help also with this. Would you stand now if you need help with your purpose in life? Maybe it's not just being a parent, but you need help with your purpose. And you're saying, my call is big. It's bigger than I. I don't know what I can do. And I need help knowing what God's going to do in my life so that I will not fail, but he'll receive the glory. Stand in that. Maybe you need help fulfilling to be a spouse. And sometimes you realize that your inadequacies of a man or a woman are severe. And you just want to acknowledge, God, help me. Or maybe you need help being a witness for him. And you don't know what to always say. You're afraid at times you'll, you'll mess up. You realize that, that God uh, needs you to be prepared more, but you're ready to trust him, to take a, a step of faith on a daily basis. I'm trusting you uh, to speak uh, your word to someone who's hurting. And I want to be there for others. Would you stand with me? Father in heaven, those that are standing now have taken a big step to say, hey, we're, we're inadequate on our own.
We want to be better parents. We want to be better spouses. We want to be better friends. We want to be better witnesses. Lord, if there's someone online right now and they, they realize that they're insignificant or they're not insignificant, but they're inadequate on their own, I pray that they would come to you and stand for help. Father, if there's someone in the room now that needs to first come to you because of sin, to have that weakness washed away and be made new, to be made like Jesus, I pray that they would, during this song, come forward and just begin to walk with you. Lord, I pray that others in this room would see these brave souls standing and that we would come alongside one another for your glory. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Would you stand with us, the rest of you? And if you have a decision to make, I pray that you wouldn't wait another day, that, that we would walk in this together. That in our weakness, we know that God makes us stronger we ever be on our own through him. Let's sing.